replicate our craft over the large green area. Yes, I'm telling Bob, I think there are a bunch of Earthlings. Beam one up, Nebular. This is an utterly fascinating specimen. Let us try communicating with it. Yes, let us. Take us to your Rico. I said, take us to your Rico. Perhaps if you grab a hold of the sharp object protruding from its skull. Yes, I will attempt that. He smells funny. Very funny. Take us to your Rico. You know, for our weekly dose of sci-fi information and geeky goodness. Maybe we should shake fingers. I don't think it's working. What is this substance, Gebular? I do not know. It is very wet. Yes, very wet. Our tricorder indicates large amounts of calcium in liquid form. Ah, TrexinSciFi.com does the body good. Can we make this in brown? Hello once again, everyone. This is Rico, and you're listening to Trexin Sci-Fi. As Bob and Gebular said in the intro there, it's your weekly dose of uh, sci-fi goodness, Star Trek information, and, uh, well, whatever happens to, else to be going on in the worlds of uh, genre and entertainment, movies, TV, whatever. Uh, we're here to uh, have a lot of fun this week again, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a two-part Voyager episode uh, called Dark Frontier. This episode was from Season 5. It's a uh, heavy 7 of 9 episode involving the Borg, and uh, it's one I've been wanting to do. Uh, a lot of the uh, these two-part Voyager episodes are, I think, some of their better uh, ones. Uh, I, I enjoy them quite a bit, and I wanted to uh, cover this one. So that will be on this week's edition, and uh, we'll be doing a collectible. Actually, I'm going to review a collectible earlier in the show because I keep saying, ah, oh, we'll do a collectible if we have time, and we never seem to have time. But I'm going to shove one in at the very beginning of the show just to uh, make sure we cover something uh, new from the collectible scene uh, that I got uh, several weeks back. So that will be coming up. Of course, some usual news, talk about some of the new uh, TV going on. Uh, lots of good stuff. So, uh, hey, let's get to it. Oh, before I forget, it's uh, podcast 214 for February the 15th, 2009. Thank you. 
is Ethan Phillips from Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. Well, hey, everyone. Rico again. And uh, just go through a couple of quick announcements here on the podcast before we get into uh, talking about the Star Trek movie and other genre things going on in the world of sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. Um, the first thing I wanted to mention is I'm going to be doing another T-shirt run. Uh, I've had a few... Uh, comments requests lately for that and i wanted to put out uh, some new t-shirts for uh getting them ready uh for the premiere of the movie in may and so we can all kind of go and wear our shirts and geek out at the movie uh, i have a little bit of a different idea for this one uh, uh something i'm kind of kicking around and, and working on a few ideas and designs for it so uh but watch the main website and the forums over at treksinsci-fi.com uh in the next week or so a uh, week or two, probably definitely before the end of this month, before the end of February, I'll be putting up the, the order uh, information and all of that good stuff uh, for you. And I, th- I think you'll like what uh, what I'm coming up with, and I hope you do at least. And uh, we will uh, have some new shirts to wear. Uh, the idea with this, and like I've done before, is you uh, just pre-order the shirt. And I want to collect all the orders. I usually do that for a couple of weeks, uh, and I collect all the orders, and then I send in the uh, bulk order to the T-shirt company. Uh, they're much better and cheaper to do it this way uh, if I uh, do it in bulk like that. And then what I do is that I bulk order, they ship them to me, and then I ship them to you. The whole process is kind of, it's a little lengthier that way. Uh, it takes a couple of months overall, uh, usually about a month to prep everything and get the orders in, or, or a little less, and then about a month for the, the shirts. It usually takes about two weeks for them to get them to me and then a week or so to get them to you. So um, something like that. So that should give us plenty of time, March and April. Uh, definitely, like I said, the order should be or the ordering should be up fairly soon. Also, as always, uh, just uh, you should check out over at the main TreksinSciFi.com webpage. Uh, lots of little links there for new information about the shows that are coming up in the next few weeks, along with uh, you know little stories going on in the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, Star Trek movie news, the the picture of the days. Uh, all that good stuff links to uh, my collection gallery. Uh, please, if you haven't checked out treksandsci-fi.com, the main page, do so. And also the forum. We are starting now up uh, on the forum. Season 9 of the RPG uh, just started up actually yesterday. So uh, there is still plenty of time to, to dive in, even if you want to just write occasionally. Uh, whether it's a post a week or a post a day, we'll, we'll take any one. So uh, please check that out. And uh, and then while you're at it on the web, uh, head over on iTunes or Podcast Alley and, and give the uh, podcast a vote or a review, whatever you can. Those are always greatly appreciated. What's the latest on the new Star Trek movie? Let's find out. Well, all right, about the movie, a couple things to pass on to you, uh, things that have come up in the last week or so. Uh, the first being there is going to be another trailer. Uh, it's been announced with uh, that it'll be uh, first seen with the Watchmen movie, which is going to be looking very cool. Uh, big fan of that comic, uh, and that's coming out on March the sixth, two thousand and nine. So just a couple of weeks away, I guess about three, two, three, one, two. Do my math here. Three, <laughs> a little less than three weeks away for that. Uh, in this trailer, uh, they are planning to show some new footage. It uh, probably will be containing some of the previous released footage, uh, something, hopefully, some new and exciting bits in it. Uh, 
I, I hope they're not really advertising this movie too much. I, I, I don't know. I, it, it's hard for me to say. I, I stay so close to what's going on with it. Uh, I, of course, it won't really matter to me. Uh, but I, I always one thing I fear about movies sometimes that they tend to show a little bit maybe too much before you see the film. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I think one of the things that happened with this and the situation is uh, the the change in the date of release. You know, it was supposed to come out at Christmas and then they pushed it to May. So they've they've had a really a lot of time to kind of plan trailers and, and work on the advertising and some of this stuff. I think is coming out a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more often and and maybe in a greater quantity than if the movie had uh, been come out on its original date of December. But I guess that could possibly be a good thing as far as box office because it could get a lot more people that, uh, you know, I've even heard stories that until people saw that Super Bowl commercial that was on a couple of weeks back, they were like unaware of, hey, there's going to be a new Star Trek movie. Boy, I didn't hear about that until now. And so, you know, we all have heard about it, of course. I've been blathering about it forever. <laughs> but it's uh, the general public, which, again, is is the people that they really need to get into the theater to see more Trek and, to, and have it make enough money. This was an expensive movie, and they need to get that money back so they can make more and maybe eventually a new TV series and so forth. But so anyway, uh, maybe more advertising is good. And along those lines, uh, another new thing that just has been announced uh, just in the last couple of days, and I haven't even had a chance. I've, I've seen some captures from it, but I haven't even had a chance to go over and look at this yet. But if you go over to the official uh, movie site, StarTrekMovie.com, you can now view some of the areas of the new Enterprise, like uh, I think the corridors primarily, Maybe some of the uh, transporter room, I think. I'm not sure exactly. It looks like it's mostly corridors and areas of the ship. Uh, I don't see anything on the bridge, but they're these 360-degree panoramic views, things like this they've done before. I even remember they did this uh, with a program called, I think, uh, uh, what was it called? Desktop Starship or something, or the bridge, Star Trek Bridges or something. Anyway, it had views of all the various vessels and things in the Star Trek universe, a, a CD-ROM, I think it was, that came out several years ago. But they're like usually some kind of like little quick time or flash these days, and then you can spin around and look at all the different uh, you know controls, zoom in, and that kind of stuff. So go over to StarTrekMovie.com, and you'll be able to see that. And the last thing I wanted to mention, I, and again, this is something that I just learned about a few days ago. I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but there's this site called Go Animate. Go Animate. Excuse me. Go Animate it over at GoAnimate.com. And what this is is a way to create your own little online animations using uh, various tools and things that they have. And there's a whole Star Trek area here for this that you can play around with these, uh, you know, kind of little cute uh, versions of the original cast. I think it's just the original cast in different settings. You can put them, add your own little text and word balloons and that kind of stuff. So just go over to GoAnimate.com and you'll be able to animate your own little Star Trek episode. Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. And we're the host of a brand new podcast, Knights of the Guild, the official fan podcast of the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season, be it Season 2, which is currently airing on MSN Video, or Season 3, which is in the early pre-production stage. 
We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo! Yes, that's a new podcast, and I urge everyone to check it out. And if that one of those voices was familiar, that is Kenny, a longtime fan of this show and uh, one of the moderators on the Treks and Sci-Fi forums. He's been working uh, with the Guild on Season 2 uh, behind the scenes. He even pops up in some of the episodes, and uh, it's, it's a great series. I've enjoyed it since the beginning. That's the uh, kind of... Uh, RPG-ish uh, take and very funny uh, online series that they started uh, oh, a while ago, I guess, maybe now a year or two, a year and a half at least. The, uh, Felicia Day kind of writes it and, and, and stars in it. She's been on a lot of TV shows and Buffy. Uh, she was on an episode of House last year, I think. But anyway, it's a great series. If you're any kind of a gamer at all, you'll you'll have a lot of fun uh, watching it over at WatchTheGuild.com. And check out uh, Kenny and uh, his co-host, I think is Jenny, yes. And check out their podcast uh, called Knights of the Guild. How about the news in the world of sci-fi? Stay tuned. trailer for the new series Dollhouse that came uh, that started uh, just a couple of days ago on Fox on Friday night. Uh, uh, it's airing on, on that channel, uh, at least in the States here, at uh, 9 o'clock, right after the moved uh, Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles, which is now on at 8 o'clock, and then the Dollhouse show follows it, which is a good kind of back-to-back uh, set of sci-fi shows. I did watch the premiere. I'm not going to... This is going to be spoiler-free kind of review, uh, I just give you a little bit of a, you, you heard the premise. You probably know if you're listening to this podcast what this show is about. It's created, uh, I think the first episode was written and directed by Joss Whedon. Of course, I'm a big fan. He did Buffy, Angel, Firefly, uh, just uh, all kinds of stuff. Dr. Horrible thing that was on the web, which was great. Uh, just a big fan of him, his writing, his style, and everything. So, you know, I'm I'm pretty predisposed to liking this show. It stars uh, Eliza Dushku, I think is how you say her last name. She was uh, Faith on on Buffy and Angel. She plays this character called Echo, and and the premise here is that they have this place called the Dollhouse, which is this kind of high tech uh, 
kind of large house, and uh, there are these people inside. The only one you really learn about in the first episode, and again, I don't think this is a spoiler, is you learn a little bit about Echo. And for some reason, they don't go into a lot of detail, she has uh, joined this group, uh, sort of, you know, in a way, maybe involuntarily, but anyway... What they do is these, they're, they're called actives, I think is the name for them, and they give them through, uh, you know, they sit down in this little chair and they are able to program these people with sort of a new, a whole new life, a whole new personality that they completely believe in. Give them all the knowledge, all the skills to accomplish some particular mission that they're sent on. Uh, and, and there's a lot of variety to that. You see a couple different things in the first episode, a couple different times where she's uh, programmed and sent out in the field to do a certain job. Uh, it, this show has got a lot of potential. It's very difficult to, to judge and to say a lot about it after just one episode. I, I think for, for at least for me, and I think maybe for other people, I think that the interesting premise about this show would be to delve into Echo and you know learning a different personality each week or maybe even a couple of them what does that do to her does you know they have this line in that trailer or something can you you know and i don't think they audio there was an audio of it but there was words printed on the screen that said something like they can wipe out her memories and replace them with a new set but there's something that says can you wipe out a soul in other words is the essence of the person still kind of down in there uh, that I think is something that they would be a lot of fun and a lot of, uh, you know, there'd be a lot of interest, at least on my part, if they explore that. And, uh, you know, for, th- you know, let's just use a simple example. Say she's sent out on a mission where she has to kill someone and maybe it's not really in her nature to do that. Will this programming, uh, still hold and still work? You know, it's that classic case of, of the, the hypnotist, and you've always heard things like, you know, uh, you know, you can't make somebody, even with hypnosis and things, you can't make them some, do something against their, their basic nature. And, uh, you know, those kind of things, I think, would be interesting for them to explore. I'd like to learn more about this little group and this organization. I had a little bit of an issue uh, and, a, and a thing that I was thinking while I was watching the first uh, episode was just the why of it all. Why wouldn't it be better to just get a particular person who has these set of skills and hire them to do a particular job? You know, you need a plumber, you hire a plumber, you need a you know a guy to, you know, go off somebody. There are people out there you could probably find to do that. I think it's to try to keep things a little bit on the on the hush-hush and secret side because the person, once the job is done, they come in, they wipe their brain, and then they can do another job and they have no memory of it. Of course, the people working for the company and there are records and they all know about it, but the person doing the job doesn't. So that's kind of, eh, you know, I'm okay with all of that. I, I think the show, again, has a lot of, a lot of great potential. I, I was really impressed by Eliza's acting, you know, here – this is probably an actor's dream come true where she gets to do a different role every week and uh, or maybe even multiple ones each week and i and and just her expressions and and the way she she even handled and moved herself when she put on these different personas i think was excellent uh, again i'm i'm thinking the show's got a lot of potential i hope fox <laughs> keeps it going and and they don't you know just get rid of it like they have with poor joss before 
Uh, I think that they uh, learned their lesson a little bit with Firefly and the, the hard way of how much and how popular that show became, and I think they regret now ever uh, canceling it when they did so early on. So uh, I think maybe they've learned something. So we will see, and I urge everyone, check this show out. I believe you could still see the episode, if you missed it, uh, over at Hulu.com. They usually pick up and show the Fox shows over there. So check out Hulu.com if you missed the first premiere episode of Dollhouse, and tune in on Friday nights to, to see more. Hey, it's time once again for a collectible review with Rico Dosti on Treks in Sci-Fi. Well, the collectible I want to talk about here that we're doing uh, way out of place, normally shove these things in quick at the end of the podcast, well, we're going to do it earlier in this week, and I might try to do this uh, now and then when I have something new to talk about uh, as uh, time goes on. Uh, One related thing I want to say is there's a lot of new information and pictures and things coming out on all the Star Trek uh, collectibles, toys, uh, action figures. Uh, Star Trek, uh, or excuse me, TrekMovie.com has got a lot of information on that, so check that out. You can see the packaging and all that kind of stuff. So, But that's not what I'm really going to talk about. What I do want to say and, and mention is I got a new um, statue uh, about, I guess, about a month ago maybe or so, maybe a little bit more. Uh, this came from Sideshow Collectibles, uh, one of my favorite places to purchase uh cool and neat collectibles from this is a uh another uh statue in the series that i've been getting uh called these comic cats they're based on comic book characters so far only just uh female ones have been done this is a statue of the x-men character rogue uh who uh if you've seen the x-men films or you're a comic fan you'll know who this is she uh was in uh the I think all three, yeah, three X-Men movies that they've done. Uh, I'm a big fan of her in the comic. I think she's a real interesting character. Her ability is she is able to absorb uh, the abilities and and powers and and just kind of personality from another when she touches them. And the sort of tragic situation with her is uh, that means she can't really make kind of direct skin-to-skin contact with another person uh, in the comics or, you know, in the movies, which uh, is kind of a sort of a tragic thing power to have in a way and it makes her kind of an interesting character anyway uh the statue is i guess it's about uh, 16 to 18 inches tall approximately Uh, she's in her green outfit uh you know all these comic book characters wear a lot of different costumes throughout the years in the comics but this costume is probably one of her classic looks uh and the I, i really like the way they did this piece she's sort of bursting through a wall she uh she, a long time ago, give you a, a, a real brief uh, rogue history, she absorbed a lot of the powers and abilities of a character called Ms. Marvel in, in the comics. And Ms. Marvel was sort of almost like a Superman character, could fly, has super strength and, and speed and things like that. And Rogue was able to absorb a lot of that into her. Uh, of course, what the, one of the problems with Rogue's character is, when she does this, the the thoughts and, and memories of that person sort of conflict with her own, and it causes her a lot of problems and confusion. Hi, this is kind of related to Dollhouse in a way. <laughs> yeah, nice little segue, Rico. Anyway, the uh, more to the statue though. This is a a green a metallic finish or costume. Like I said, is the green one. She is in a setting where she's bursting through a wall. So you you get these extra little bricks and stuff you you put in when you get the piece. And uh, her pose, she's kind of pulling off one of her gloves. She always wears gloves 
typically in the comics again so she doesn't ac- so she won't accidentally if she does make contact you know touches somebody's hand or something like that brushes up against somebody she won't you know absorb uh their uh, memories and personality and abilities if they have any in that so uh she's stretching and pulling off one of her gloves which is a real cool effect in the way they did this piece uh that is really neat she's got one of the tips of the fingers, she's holding it in one hand and pulling it off, and they kind of have the piece stretched out or the glove stretched out. It's uh, it's better to tell you or to for you to see it in pictures, which I'll I'll post in the collection gallery and in the podcast notes for this week. I'll put some photos up, but uh, it's an excellent piece. They've done a whole series of the these. Excuse me, they've uh, done Mary Jane uh, from Spider Man. They've done the the White Queen, who's also in the X Men. Uh, Emma, she, or excuse me, her name is Emma. Uh, what am I blanking on her last name uh, for? But, uh, and uh, they've done Rogue, and the, the, these are really well done pieces. I, I'm very impressed with um, with this Rogue piece. It's maybe the best of the line they've done. Each one, they seem to get a little bit more intricate and involved the paint job on this one is just excellent and uh if you're uh, a fan of the x-men or rogues character this is a very cool piece probably one of the best statues i've seen of her done and so uh you could probably still find it over on ebay maybe even on sideshow if it is still available i'll uh, i'll link it up it might be these usually come with they're they're in two versions there's an exclusive version and a regular one i got the exclusive and the, what they do for those with these comic cat pieces is they give you an art print uh, of the piece, which is usually the artwork that they use to base the statue on. And you can have them framed up. They're really nice, and that's it's not like a little extra piece for the statue or anything like that, like they do with some of the other sideshow things. Uh, but this is with a print that comes along with the statue. But the regular editions are usually larger. They're usually easier to, easier to come by. So check uh, check out the websites and things for that. I'll try to put some links in the podcast notes about the Rogue statue. Once you've finished listening to the excellent Treks in Sci-Fi podcast, why don't you pop over to our podcast? We're called Waffle On. And every few weeks, we'll be discussing a classic television show broadcast on British TV between 1960 and 1990. And we'll be talking about British-made, US-made and Australian-made shows. So come waffle on with us at http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com or simply head to iTunes and type in Waffle On. We'd be honoured if you'd join us. been waiting for. Here's this week's Star Trek episode on Treks in Sci-Fi. Alright, the episode for this week is a, a longer one. Uh, it was a, a kind of a two-part episode, although when it was first broadcast, it was uh, done as sort of a, a movie event. It was shown all in one sitting uh, the episode is called Dark Frontier. It's from about the middle of Season 5 of Star Trek Voyager. And I just wanted to give you a few bits of information before we get into the clips and talk about the show itself. This episode, like I said, was uh, shown in one uh, one s- sitting setting. <laughs> uh, it was shown as a movie event kind of a thing uh, when it was first broadcast. And the interesting thing I found out, too, about the broadcast is it's almost 10 years ago to the day when this show first aired. It aired originally on February 17th, 1999. 
So, uh, again, almost 10 years ago is when this was first shown. It is uh, from a uh, teleplay. It was written by uh, Brandon Braga, one of the exec uh, producers on this show, and Joe Minoski. They wrote this one. It was directed by Cliff Bull, uh, who did quite a bit of Voyager work. This is obviously a heavy heavy Seven of Nine episode, heavy Borg episode. And the Borg, uh, when they picked up Seven of Nine, uh, Jerry Ryan's character, uh, the Voyager sort of swung into uh, being or having the Borg as their main adversaries. You know, they, they would run into them occasionally. They learned that they were from the area of space that they were in. And so they became sort of the Klingons for the Voyager crew, and they were able to uh, use them uh, time and time again in very new and interesting ways, especially because they had Seven of Nine aboard with them. The episode, uh, I think, is a good one. It's a strong one, uh, a good showcase for Jerry Ryan for Seven of Nine. I think for Janeway as well, she has some good moments in this one too, along with some of the other characters uh, what else do I want to say before we get into it? Oh, the, a couple of little tidbits. This is the first episode you get to see uh, Jerry Ryan in the sort of burgundy red Seven of Nine outfit. And that was used because her other outfits or the other colors just didn't work in the Borg sets and things uh, very well. They didn't show up very well. Excuse me. <laughs> Uh, words getting in front of my mouth before I say them. They didn't film uh, very well, so they put her in this more uh, red outfit, which you would see periodically. She sort of had the blue, the red, and the silver, I think. And then there was sort of a brown one later. I don't know. How how many different uh, cat suits did Jerry Ryan uh, have? Hey, there's a good trivia question for everyone. Uh, But anyway, uh, actually, I liked her more when you get to the later seasons that she put on a regular uniform in an episode or two. I thought that looked good, too. Anyway, oh, there I go with that word again. <laughs> oh, after 200 and whatever, 13, 14 podcasts, 15, I still can't talk sometimes. Yes, folks. Maybe I should play a clip. Hey, let's get into the episode. Yeah, let's do that. By my count, we've added at least two years to our journey by avoiding the Borg. I'm tired of turning tail every time we detect a cue. Better safe than assimilated. Mm. Maybe I should go to Red Alert and get it over with. Commander. You're about to drop one of your bombshells. Now what makes you say that? The way you fiddle with your combat. You do it every time. Well, I'll have to keep an eye on that. Eureka! I was hoping to find one of these. It's a servo armature from a medical repair drone. Laser scalpel, biomolecular scanner, micro suture, all rolled into one instrument. No Federation sick bay should be without one. This could revolutionize the way that I perform surgery. Excellent. Why don't you deactivate it for now? Okay, so what you start out with in this episode is Voyager is able to destroy, uh, they beam in this photon torpedo and they destroy this Borg uh, little scout ship uh, and they collect this debris, which uh, gives them some uh, bits of uh, Borg technology it also gives them some data and information on the Borg and where they're traveling and, and things. And it also provides uh, them some information on Seven of Nine's parents and what they went through, which they spend the good probably good half of the first or good half of this episode, the overall episode uh, of Seven of Nine kind of going over these old logs of uh, her parents. And her parents were basically like, I guess you could call them alien uh exobiologists that they they wanted to study the borg this was before a lot was known about the borg and they set off on in a little ship of their own 
Uh, and I don't think I'm trying to, you know, when I watched it, they don't show, I don't think, when they go through these logs, anyone else. It's just her parents and, and Annika, Annika, uh, who is seven of nine, Annika Hansen, uh, with the parents aboard this little ship. And I think it was just the three of them out there uh, sort of exploring the Borg. They eventually run into a, a cube and, and they and they study them and they use sort of adaptive shielding and little camouflage devices and ways to avoid detection. I think it's pretty nuts, <laughs> especially since they have a little daughter with them to, to go off on a mission like this. I, I, I just And they never really mention or explore that or, or talk about that at all. It's like, uh, you guys, uh, do you really understand what you're doing? I, I mean, uh, whole Federation starships have had problems with the Borg, and I don't know. That that to me is a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe maybe they were thought that they'd be able to, you know, they were overconfident. They talk about that in this episode a few times, that they thought all their um, camouflage devices and to, ways to avoid detection would work, and if they got in trouble, they could just sort of warp away or whatever, but uh it's a little bit of an oversight, I think. I, I, you know, they never even really touch on, you know, that maybe one of the parents felt a little more strongly about staying and was concerned, and the other one. Just a little discussion between the two of them about that, I think, would have gone a long way uh, to say, you know, hey, they even actually did cross their mind that what they were going to do is pretty dangerous, and to take their daughter with them was pretty reckless in a way. So, anyway, uh, let's go on. So what we have here, in two simple words, is... Fort Knox. Captain. Tom, translate. Fort Knox, the largest repository of gold bullion in Earth's history. Over 50 metric tons, worth over 9 trillion U.S. dollars. Keep going. Well, uh, when the new world economy took shape in the late 22nd century and money went the way of the dinosaur, Fort Knox was turned into a museum. And no one ever managed to break into that facility, right? Well, a couple of Ferengi tried about 10 years ago, but other than that, it's considered impenetrable. Are you planning a heist? As a matter of fact, except we're not chasing gold, we're going to steal a transwarp coil. Think it might come in handy. If I could equip our engines with even one coil, we could shave about 20 years off this trip. Do you believe the Borg sphere is damaged enough for us to penetrate its defenses? Long enough to take what we want and get out in one piece. But we'd have to plan this operation down to the millisecond. There would be no margin for error. As I see it, we plan an intercept course that won't attract their attention, then create a diversion to keep them occupied, so we can send in an away team to obtain the technology. I'd like to see the data on that sphere. We might be able to recreate parts of it on the holodeck, run a few tactical simulations. It's all yours. We need to mask our warp signature. I've got a few monkey tricks up my sleeve. They're not exactly Starfleet approved, but this is no type of protocol. Get started. The sphere is three days away by maximum warp. Set a course. Chakotay, I want an outline for our heist by tomorrow morning. I like the the fact that Janeway and, you know, Voyager in general kind of goes on the offensive here a little bit. Like she says uh, in this episode several times, you know, they're, they're always avoiding and running away from the Borg, and, and it's it's time that they sort of face them, you know, f- f- directly and, and, and took something from them instead of them always being the ones that are, you know, pushed around and taken, you know, they're kind of, you know, in other words, give the bully a black note, black 
Black nose? Black nose. Oh, my goodness. I need some more tea. Uh, give the, the bully a black eye. Maybe they'll think twice, you know, about coming back after you. So uh, I like that approach. Uh, next clip here is with, uh, I think this is with Annika's, Annika's, I can never say that name right the first time, uh, father, 709's father. Come here. Daddy wants to talk to you. Remember when I said that you, me, and Mommy were going on a very long voyage? Uh-huh. Well, we're leaving tomorrow. And we won't see Earth for quite a while. Are we going to see the Borg? If we're lucky. Do the Borg have kids, too? Well, nobody knows. We'll be the first humans to study them up close. What do they look like? Well, we're not sure exactly, but... We think they might look a lot like us, but with technology inside their bodies. Cybernetic? <laughs> mm hmm. Are they friendly? Well, they're different. They don't talk like us or even think like us, but we're hoping to make friends one day. I hope so too, Daddy. Well, the uh, cube, the little cube toy that Annika is playing with in that scene, I believe, is is the same as what I have sitting on my shelf. I think it's an old Playmates Borg toy cube that they made uh, back around this time. It was uh, readily available, I think. It looked about the right size when I watched this episode again yesterday to collect these clips. I, I was looking back over while I was playing that some of the, the star dates that they reference in this episode and when the, the Hansons went off on their little mission. Now, Somebody out there maybe should clear this up. Send me an email, treksf at gmail.com. But I'm trying to do a timeline here. I thought that the first time the Federation really learned or, or contacted the Borg was when Q came along in that episode from, I think it was, was it season three, two? Oh, I'll have to look back. Uh, I think it was three. Anyway, when uh, he flung the Enterprise into Borg space and and they and Jean-Luc and the crew and everyone learned about them. Now, that was in the Stardate's, you know, 4-0-something or the other. Uh, the Hansons set out at Stardate, like, 3-1, I think it is, or 3. They're allowed to go by the Federation Council. I'm looking at on my little uh, guide here. Da, 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 da. Uh, I think I would turn one too many pages. Uh, I should write these things down better. 3-2-6-1-1.4. The council gives them permission to go off. Now, I suppose traitors and rumors and things were flying around about this species called the Borg, this cybernetic race, and that maybe the Hansons, uh, you know, the Federation in general didn't really acknowledge or know about them. You could kind of twist things around and say they were just off to study them but didn't know much. And I suppose that counters a lot of what I said earlier about them realizing the risks of what they were doing. But, you know, not completely, because if they learned rumors about what this species was like, they should have learned a little bit about, like, hey, anyone who ever came in contact with them pretty much died or, or was assimilated. So I don't know. It's, I guess it works out. It's not a big, a big problem. But uh, I also kind of think that that negates a little, though, about what the next generation uh, accomplished when they first ran into them. And because uh, that uh, that was supposed to be sort of a big event, they weren't supposed to even really know about them. So but you can kind of come up with a, an answer for all of that. So uh, next clip. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be back on Voyager. Borg vessels make my skin crawl. It was a holodeck recreation. Close enough. We just spent the last three hours dodging drones. It didn't bother you? Your point. 
You seemed a little nervous in there. The last time I was on a Borg vessel, I was a drone. The recreation was unsettling. You were reluctant to look at your parents' research, and now I sense you're a little reluctant to go on this mission. Maybe I'm pushing you too fast. I'll adapt. It's easier said than done. It's been over two years since you came face to face with the Collective. Are you sure you're up to it? I need everybody working at peak efficiency. You doubt my ability to function? No. I'm simply voicing my concerns. They're unjustified. I hope so. Because the next time we won't be on the holodeck. Understood. Yeah, there's a lot of good interplay like that between Seven and Janeway in this episode about how she's feeling about uh, studying these old uh, log entries uh, of her parents and about this mission in general. And that what they're doing there is they're doing these um, prep missions on the holodeck on Voyager in order to slip into the uh, Borg vessel, steal the transwarp coil, and get out again and, and, and manage to get away. And they have a certain time limit before the Borg will detect them, uh, this two-minute limit, and uh, they uh, they keep just uh, a little bit over it and, and keep failing. So it's uh, it, it's fun to see that, and the way they do it in the episode, you don't realize it at first. They kind of come back, and they're all on this Borg ship, and you think it's the actual mission where it's just a hollow uh, recreation of what they're trying to uh, to do and to attempt to steal this uh, coil that they need. Um, uh, next time, uh, we've got uh, a new Borg queen to deal with that Seven of Nine he, uh, gets contacted by first. Seven of Nine to security, intruder alert. I can't hear you. Who are you? I am the Borg. Seven of nine, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix zero one. You've become weak. This is a dream. I'm regenerating. It's not a dream. We've accessed your neural transceiver. Our thoughts are one. We know about Voyager's plan to invade the sphere. It will fail. If that's true, then why haven't you assimilated them? We've come to make you an offer. Rejoin the Collective, and we'll spare Voyager. Why me? Because you are unique. Yeah, that's the new Borg Queen here, uh, played by uh, actress Susanna Thompson in this uh, episode. Uh, It really does a good job, I think, of uh, very similar to the Borg uh, Queen that you saw in... First Contact, played by Alice Krige. Krige. Uh, she, uh, of course, uh, didn't come back for this episode. They got a new actress. But I think Susanna Thompson does a good job. And they kind of have similar features, similar size and, and that. So uh, it works pretty well. And and Seven has sent this little message. Um, basically, she said that she is unique, that the Borg want her back. And, and they kind of make a little deal that base, the the idea is that uh, if Seven stays and, and leaves Voyager and, and kind of hangs out with the Borg, goes back to them, that they will leave Voyager alone. Uh, so Seven uh, is uh, very much contemplating that. Uh, as you'll hear, uh, that involves uh, her insisting on going on the mission uh, coming up in this next clip here. If I'd realized how those journals were going to affect you, I never would have pushed you to read them. And I'm not about to ask you to face the Collective in your present frame of mind. The past several days have been difficult. But I must join the away team, and I assure you I will not make another mistake. 
I've made my decision, Seven. If I don't go, this mission will fail. You sound awfully certain about that. I know the Borg. And I know you. There's more to what you're saying. What's wrong? Over the past two years, I have become familiar with the individuals on this vessel. Voyager is my collective now. Your survival is important to me. I am willing to risk my own well-being if it increases our chances of success. Assign me to the away team. Please. remarkable progress as an individual and as a member of this crew for what it's worth Voyager wouldn't be the same without you Another good scene, I think, uh, you know, Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine, I think, does a really good job in this episode. Uh, she's always, I think, been a strong uh, character. She does a good job in the role of uh, Seven. Uh, very interesting. I like to see her get, you know, she gets upset and, and different emotions cross her her face and her mind in, in this episode. And you get to see that. And uh, it, it's really good, that conflict of the Borg versus being human. Uh, I think is is important, and she does a, a really good job with it. And and Janeway, I think, is the sort of almost a mother figure a little bit to her, and feels sort of very responsible. There's a couple of good uh, clips coming up uh, involving that. So uh, a, a very good, strong uh, group of uh, acting scenes from this episode. Uh, next, uh, I think this is yeah. We're getting up to uh, they uh, invade invade this uh, Borg vessel. And this is the clip, I think, when Seven uh, decides to stay. Seven of nine. Seven, keep moving! No. I wish to stay. I intend to rejoin the Collective. I can't let you do that. You have no choice. Keep moving, that's an order. Go! Chakotay to away team. The sphere has detected Voyager. They've altered course to intercept and they're charging weapons. We've got to get you out of there now. 400,000 kilometers and closing. Full power to weapons. I'm not leaving without you. Then you will be assimilated.
Where's Seven? She had a change of heart report. The Spear's changing course. They're retreating. They're bringing their remaining transport coils online. Pursued course. Target their propulsion system. They're gone, Captain. So Seven decides to stay with uh, Miss Borg Queen. So, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the the production values and the music and everything in this episode are also uh, very well done. You get to see this whole area field of uh, Borg vessels that uh, you know that are in this whole matrix of uh, Borg. Uh, I don't know what you call it. It's a whole area of space where they seem to all kind of congregate together. Um, what else did I want to say? Uh, the only th- one little thing that I, I have a trouble with in some of these episodes, these Borg uh, shows, is that is the darkness, you know, of some of the different scenes that you get to see. Uh, it, it's it's eerie and it's nice, but it 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 just just notched up the the brightness just a little bit would have been uh, maybe a little easier, especially since you've got dark vessels and mist and things like that going on. And then the Borg are all in these dark, uh, dark outfits. It's it's kind of a difficult combination. I even remember seeing like when I was watching, I think First Contact when I saw it in the movies at the big screen, or uh, at the theater. It's like, gosh, you know, I mean, I I, I think I can see pretty well, but <laughs> this thing, it's hard to pick these people out and stuff like that. So just a little aside. Oh, the next clip though, I do want to say something about this clip. I I, I like. Uh, I like the uh, the character of uh, Naomi, uh, the little uh, Naomi Wildman's uh, little girl in this, who eventually becomes kind of a good friend of Seven's, and she goes to see Captain Janeway after Seven is a uh, kind of stays behind, and this is a very nice scene between the two of them, and I, I think it's uh, it's a good uh, good take and a good uh, you know gives you good insight into Janeway and her the way she thinks. A member of the crew has requested an appointment with the captain. I informed her that you were occupied, but she was insistent. Whatever it is, I'm sure Commander Chakotay can handle. Request granted. Send her in. Permission to submit a proposal for your review. Proposal? It's a rescue operation for seven of nine. You created this plan all by yourself? Yes, ma'am. You see, if we change our long-range sensors to Seven's cortical implant frequency, maybe we can find her. The Delta Quadrant is a very big place, and Seven could be thousands of light years from here. What if we boosted our sensor range with power from the main deflector? (laughs) You've been spending too much time in engineering. I'm afraid it's not quite that simple. But thank you, crewman. Your initiative is duly noted. Captain? You're not going to give up, are you? There are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in, go down with the ship, And never abandon a member of your crew. 
Yeah, Kate uh, Mulgrew really uh, does a great job as Janeway in this episode, and I think just in general in Voyager. Uh, we've had some uh, discussions, I know, off and on on the forums about her as a, as a character. Uh, I've always been a big fan of her and, and Voyager in general, and uh, I think this episode really uh, allows her to show that well and, and how loyal and you know how much she'll go the extra mile to, to uh, save a crewman. Uh, especially in, in this case, Seven of Nine, who she's sort of you know, almost in a way, like I said, adopted, and, and she kind of got her from the Borg and, and rescued her there to begin with, and she feels sort of responsible for her. So uh, Next, this one's a kind of a long one, but I think it's a good thing to play. This, uh, I think, is a kind of shows you the, the back and forth between the Borg Queen and Seven and uh, what's going on over there. Regarding, assimilation is complete. 300,000 individuals have been transformed into drones. Should they be congratulated as well? They should be. They've left behind their trivial, selfish lives, and they've been reborn with a greater purpose. We've delivered them from chaos into order. Comforting words. Use them next time instead of resistance is futile. You may elicit a few volunteers. You cling to sarcasm because you are afraid to see the truth. Species 10026 is already adding to our perfection. You can feel their distinctiveness coursing through us, enhancing us. Stop resisting. Take pleasure in this. Take pleasure in the destruction of a race. Human sentiment. Compassion. Guilt. Empathy. They're irrelevant. Not to me. Me? There is no me. There is only us. One mind. My thoughts are my own. We've overlooked something. A ship. Four life forms. They're trying to escape. How do you suggest we proceed? Destroy the vessel? Or assimilate it? Neither. There are only four life forms and the vessel is heavily damaged. It would be an inefficient use of our resources. We should ignore it. In this case, our thoughts are not one. If those individuals are allowed to survive, species 10026 will survive and continue to resist us. But that's what you were hoping for, wasn't it? You tried to mask their life signs, but I detected them. Release the vessel. I'm sorry this lesson has to be so painful for you, but you are a difficult pupil. Abandon your human frailties. They are the cause of your pain. Let them go. Please. was irrelevant. 
So the Borg Queen's kind of trying to get on Seven's uh, good sign. She lets a few people uh, go. Uh, I could just see, though, the minute they turn that monitor off, she makes some kind of little signal to someone else and blows them away. Uh, it, it seemed unlikely that she would really let them go completely, but it appears at least she did. Uh, next clip. This is an interesting one uh, where uh, Seven sees that uh, right on the vessel here with the Borg Queen, her father is still there, uh, who has been assimilated, of course, uh, long ago. Uh, I guess it's supposed to be like 15 years or so uh, when uh, when they uh, lost, uh, you know, out to the Borg and the, her mother and father and herself were first assimilated. Forget Voyager. They were never your collective. I am Annika Hansen, human. I remember Annika. Does she remember us? She wasn't afraid. Why are you? You attacked us. You murdered my family. We did no such thing. We gave them perfection. that I think that it would have been interesting, but, you know, if they didn't have uh, enough time probably to do it in this episode, is there's no real mention later, or, you know, when they rescue, which is, I think, the next clip, uh, you know, that Seven tries to save her father or her mother. They don't really show the mother on the on the Borg ship at all, but, you know, he, she doesn't even say anything about it, you know, try to go back and get them or do anything, you know, just a quick line even would have been interesting in order to uh, to mention that, you know, she was she saw them and that she was trying to save them too, uh, rather than just say, Hey, okay, let's go. But, uh, I, you know, I guess it's just a little thing, but I, I would have liked to have seen something like that said. Um, two more clips to do. Uh, next one is the escape of seven of nine. This is a good scene. Uh, it's kind of a little bit of a standoff where Janeway pops in with a rifle pointed at uh, the Borg queen and says, uh, let us go or you all die. You have failed them. No. We believed you would be an asset to us. We were wrong. You are weak. Don't listen to her, Seven. She's irrelevant. Call them off or I'll destroy you. Your weapons are useless. Don't be so sure. My tactical officer is disabling the shields around this room. Tom, status. We've targeted the chamber, Captain. Let her go, or I'll give the order to fire. You would be destroyed as well, along with your crewmen. Better than being one of you. Tom, high-yield torpedoes, full spread. Fire on my command. 
Captain, they've disengaged the tractor. Hold your fire. Beam us out of here. A dispersal field just activated around the chamber you're in. We can't get a lock. Shut down that field. Don't listen to her. She's poisoned your thoughts long enough. I'm giving you an order. One order. One voice. Insignificant. Assist the collective as drones. Assimilate them. Captain, target the power node directly above this alcove. It will disrupt her command interface. Our thoughts are one. how uh, the Borg Queen, by sharing thoughts with Seven, eventually gives her the information she needs to uh, help her escape. Uh, it's an interesting twist in this episode that the, the Borg wanted, or the Borg Queen basically wanted Seven back because of her uniqueness. Uh, I didn't play a lot of the clips, but her, her main point was that she was going to use Seven's knowledge of humans uh, in order for them to help uh, conquer and uh, assimilate the, you know, our species the human species because they've failed uh, pretty much every time so far you know pretty much because they uh they underestimate our ingenuity and uh our ability to adapt and to to uh to work together and be a little unpredictable too at times that is something that the boar can't really deal with and they wanted seven to kind of help them with that uh, one more clip for you and then we'll round out the this week's episode i see you picked up some bad habits captain the doctor told you to regenerate for at least two days. You're violating the direct medical command. I will comply when my work is completed. Borg tactical data? During my time at Unimatrix 1, I acquired a vast amount of knowledge. It may prove useful in our future encounters with the Borg. I am downloading it into Voyager's database. Borg believed I was unique, that I understood humanity. They were obviously mistaken. How so? I betrayed the crew of Voyager, threatened you with assimilation. I did not expect you to return for me. Looks like you still have a few things to learn. Time to regenerate. When I am finished. No. Now, that's an order. Yes, Captain.
All right, well, there you've got uh, the episode Dark Frontier from Season 5 of Star Trek Voyager. A very good uh, tale of the Borg and Seven of Nine, uh, Captain Janeway. It's a good overall strong episode. I think there's a lot of interesting things you learn about, and it's uh, it's always good to see uh, Seven of Nine dealing with the Borg and trying to regain her humanity and, and all of that. Uh, I liked it a lot, and I hope you uh, enjoyed uh, my commentary and discussion about it. Uh, we'll be back in a moment to round out the show. I do have a couple of clips from listeners. The first up is Meds and his uh, commentary about Dark Frontier. The great thing about Star Trek Voyager is that I don't think it's aged at all. Uh, TNG, you can go back and look at some of the early episodes, and they really do look like they was made in the um, the mid-80s, the clothing and the lighting, for example. But with Voyager, you can always guarantee you can sit back and, and almost feel that this program was made today. Dark Frontiers, for me, is one of the best episodes of Star Trek Voyager. It's dark, slightly humorous in places, but sub-emotional. It's a Seven of Nine episode, basically, and you see the conflict that she has for the Collective and for her new crew on Voyager. It's always good to see the Borg Queen turn up. The one thing that sticks in my mind is when Seven's family, her biological family, are testing uh, Borg species. And the fact that they name them Bill, Junior and Needlefingers is, in my point, almost Hellraiser-ish in its uh, naming. It's quite scary, really, because we know what the Borg are like. We know what they'll do. Yet these people are totally oblivious to this, although they have studied the Borg. Ultimately, of course, they do get assimilated, and Seven gets to see her father towards the end of the episode before the climax. I think it's a brilliant episode, and it's great that you're doing a review of it, Rico, and I think I'm definitely going to seek it out and watch it again. And as to quote Tom Paris in this episode, after watching it, I think we all need a few beers. Yeah, I agree with that, Meds. Uh, that was a good scene, too. I didn't cl- catch that clip, but yeah, they go into uh, uh, the uh, eating area. What, what am I blanket out? Uh, the mess hall, and uh, it's not 10 forward, that's uh, TNG. But anyway, they go in there, and uh, Tom and. Uh, Harry go in to get some beer after one of their simulations. It's a good part. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely a strong seven episode, a lot of fun to watch, and uh, gives you a lot of information about her and her past and her parents and all that. And I did like, yeah, you're, it's a good comment, too, about the the naming of the the different drones that the, the Hansons were uh, observing. It kind of reminds me when I, uh, I've gone, um, when I went to Taiwan on these business trips, some of the names of some of the people that I was working with were a little difficult for me to to know and pronounce. So uh, just between me and uh, one of my coworkers from the U.S. over there, we gave them uh, different names of people that we uh, we knew back in our company that they were sort of like, and we sort of named them, of uh, you know, after those names, and we would we would talk about them and refer to them just between ourselves. We we gave them new names because you know Xinjiang Zhongjian was a little hard for us to say and that kind of stuff. So anyway, little uh, little tidbit, little tangent for you. Uh, we got another comment here. This is with a song from Mr. Rick Moyer, and Jeff. You know, you should check out uh, his uh, new show over at Take Him With You, uh, also. But uh, here's Rick's comments about Dark Frontier and a new song for you. Hi, Rico. This is Rick Moyer from Aberdeen. I wanted to say thanks again for Trex and Sci-Fi. What a great podcast. I won't talk long on the comments on this episode, but suffice it to say, 
Um, Voyager is a great, great series of Star Trek. I really enjoy this series because uh, it's right up there with TNG for me just because I, I enjoy the character development and the cool things that happened in the show. And, of course, we know that you know halfway through the, the series, uh, Kess was off the ship and they brought in Seven of Nine. And even though it was controversial and everything, it was a great character kind of compared to the character of Spock and Data and all the others that uh, had to deal with emotions and so on because she had been a Borg drone. So I thought instead of just talking about the episode, I thought I would do a tribute to Seven of Nine. Uh, remember that song by Tommy Two-Tone? Uh, remember 86753099? Remember that song? I redid it uh, at the advice of Jen on the forums because I was asking what would what would work. And um, I came up with the idea of Unimatrix 017 of 9. So here you go. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, keep rocking it, Rico. You're awesome. Trex and Sci-Fi rocks. Enjoy. Seven. 
stuff rick uh great idea for the song i think uh jen maybe on the forums i think you said something like she gave you that idea to use that that song uh tommy two-tone song i for and re redo it with uh, star trek uh seven and in unimatrix mode uh great stuff always great to hear from you and uh you can check out rick's also other parody songs over at his parody page over at christrocks.com i think forward slash parody is where you want to go well, gang, uh, that uh, will wrap up this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Podcast 214 is almost over. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at the Enterprise episode, First Flight. Uh, if you'd like to comment about that uh, or anything else, some book or movie or TV show that you're into and, and like uh, or maybe wasn't so good, you know, feel free to send those in, too. Just uh, create a little audio MP3 file and send it into treksf at gmail.com, and we'll get it on the show. Until then, everyone, thank you for downloading the episode. Thanks for taking some time and listening to me again. And I'll be speaking to you again uh, very soon and next time. Take care until then. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with Rico Dostey. Copyright 2009, all rights reserved. TreksInSciFi.com